Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I cover Premier League football and European football for Omnisport. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports, and I'm a Burnley FC fan. Hi, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan. I uh, write for EPL Index and the Boot Room, and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. All right, thanks so much for joining me today. The first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of a, selfishly a reaction that I had watching Arsenal lose to Brighton today. Uh, and it was Arsene Wenger just looking dejected on the touchline yet again, obviously super outclassed by Guardiola in their last two matches, which resulted in the loss of a cup and kind of solidifying of their uh, place in six, unless Jamie's Burnley can have anything to say about it, which we'll obviously get to <laughs> in a little bit. Um but I, the reason I wanted to talk about this is I never thought I would say or feel this, but I currently feel bad for Arsene Wenger. It is always sad watching a sporting great, like somebody that, that helped define the sport at a time, diminish in the public eye. Like seeing him again just vacant and clueless, it, it, it was genuinely just very sad. And it's very sad anytime this happens on this scale. Um not expecting either of you two that are on this, but maybe some listeners will remember when Michael Jordan came back to play for the Wizards after retiring for the Bulls, and it just wasn't the same. It was almost fun being able to still see him, but it clearly wasn't who he used to be. The game had clearly passed him. and That's the, f- the, that's the guy from Space Jam, right? That is the guy from Space Jam. No, you're thinking Bugs Bunny. Yes, no, that's the guy from <laughs> Space Jam. Um, but it's just really sad watching somebody either too ignorant or stubborn to accept that their time in a sport has come and gone. And that can translate to much sadder things later on in life, not being willing to move on to that next phase or not being able to. Again, (laughs) sorry, this is going to be very American again, but in Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, he was basically taking shots at people, including his own teammates, where he basically said, you're welcome to Scottie Pippen, who was the second best player on that team for winning him all those trophies. And it's just, it's people, it's what makes a lot of those people great is that constant drive to be the best. And then the question is, how do you transition out of that? And clearly, Arsene Wenger is no longer the best. Um, I understand that he wants to go out on top. He mentioned that when he's, what was it, a two-year contract he signed in the offseason? And that was his thing, was I want to turn it around before I leave. But it's becoming more and more clear that that is not going to be possible um, wanting to throw it to you guys now. Do you feel bad for Arsene Wenger, and how much of the downfall of Arsenal do you lay at his feet? I do feel bad for him. I grew up watching great Arsenal teams: Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, players that we consider to be among the best of the Premier League era, and the unbeatables 
were an incredible scene, so fantastic to watch and incredibly effective. It's it is sad to see what Arsenal have become. I think Fenger has to take some of the blame. Some of the blame. I think it's it's clear that when he came into English football, he revolutionised it to an extent. But the game seems to have moved on. He, I I don't know whether it's a lack of desire to to want to do it anymore or just that he's he's getting a bit old and past it maybe but he just it it seems like the game has moved on past him now and when you see Arsenal today against Brighton and the, the team just obviously aren't playing for him anymore and it, it is sad to see I covered the the City game on Thursday and Henrik Mkhitaryan has said before the game that they had to fight for Arsene Wenger and there was absolutely no fight in the performance at all. The players obviously want him to go. They want somebody else in charge. But I think it's also kind of inevitable. This seems to happen to almost every manager, whether it takes a year, five years, 20 years, as it has with Arsene Wenger. It always seems to end. Apart from in extremely special cases like Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United, it always seems to end in a bad situation like this where everyone's just waiting for the guy to leave the party. The party's over, just go. Um, and I think it's it's now a case for Arsenal of how they manage how they manage his exit because he has to go. It has to be soon, but he also needs to be remembered as one of the great managers of the Premier League era, someone who took Arsenal to the brink of incredible things. They almost won the European Cup under Arsene Wenger. They won the double a couple of times. Seven FA Cups, more than most clubs have won altogether. Arsene Wenger has seven FA Cups. He's been an incredible manager, but I'm afraid he's not anymore. I think there are other things at Arsenal as well. The move to the new stadium, I think, had an impact. David Dean's departure, I think, has been massive for them in that they don't seem to have someone above Arsene Wenger, who has the experience, the know-how, knowledge of the Premier League to act as sort of the, the counterbalance to Arsene Wenger. I think all these factors have come, sort of come into play at the same time. And Arsene Wenger just seems to get more stubborn every year. He doesn't want to change what he's doing. They're more entrenched with the Arsenal philosophy. But the game just seems to have moved on. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Jamie's just said there. It's difficult. It, 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 you do feel sorry for him. Like every every time you see the camera on him, and he just looks so dejected, and just, he just looks like he's not has so little control over what's happening. It's it is quite sad. But this decline has been it's, it's been a long one. It's been more than a decade of just regression at Arsenal. Probably since they reached the Champions League final, which I think was in two thousand six. So since then, it's just been just been gradual decline and. Um, He's probably he's probably should have went two or three years ago. In all honesty, and it went, you know they used to talk about the top four being a trophy, and and you know that's probably it's it's quite a big achievement finishing in the top four. But it it was just 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 more excuses to cover cover how he just couldn't compete at the top, and it's just it's keep it's just kept on declining since there. Um, today was utterly predictable. I think I think most people thought Brighton were going to win. Uh, they're quite a good team at home and the, just the way they played is just so high energy and Arsenal just the complete opposite of that. Um, used to be able to sort of praise Arsenal Wenger for, for the style of play he used to play but even now, you know, Arsenal don't particularly play nice football anymore. Their, cent- their centre of midfield is just, it's just non-existent. It just, just doesn't compete at all. Um, 
and they're just—it's not a top six anymore. It's not. It's a, it's a top five. They're so far away from those teams ahead of them. I know. I know there was a lot of excitement about Mkhitaryan and, and Aubameyang. You know, they're both really good players in their own right, but they're not the type of players Arsenal needed to change it around. They're both sort of flair players, and, and you wouldn't put either of them down as hard-working players. And that's just more of the same and just, they've just come straight in and you know a lot of people saying oh Obama a bit wishes he never joined Arsenal well he's he's, he's not I mean he's only been there a, a small amount of time but he's not helping at all he's, he's 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 just exactly the same as the rest of them so I think they need a change um the problem with with changing it it, it he's been there so long that it's you know it's difficult to, to force it. I think they've started to, to make changes I think they've brought somebody in to do transfers now I don't think that falls under Wenger's remit anymore so they, they are slowly making that change and I think it's probably going to happen this summer whether it's his own resignation or somebody else you know just makes that decision for him the board which which would be a surprise but I, I think he, he's probably going to come to come to realize it, it's finished for him but the names being linked are not really that that much they don't really feel me much enthusiasm if I was an Arsenal fan I think Thierry Henry's been linked which is just laughable and uh Brendan Rodgers who's uh a fine he's okay like he did a fine with Liverpool he's doing okay with Celtic well he's doing it you know as well as you can do it with Celtic but I wouldn't put him down as the manager that's gonna force his way past you know Klopp Pochettino and and Guardiola Mourinho into that that top four he's not gonna be that manager so I just think now he that the keeping Wenger last summer was was a big mistake. They've they've regressed so much over the course of these twelve, you know, the last few months that they just they're a million miles away from that top four, and I can't see a manager that's going to get them back into it. So it could just be, it's it's it's, it's tough. But I, you know, I do feel sorry for him. But he is he is a large he is a large you know reason why they've mm. why they've regressed so much in recent seasons. Yeah, I, I think um, Ancelotti is the only big name that sounds like. He could potentially turn them around, but I think I've only heard fans say that. I don't even know if I've heard like journalists even um, really touting that one. And as we know, people will tell just about everything um, from that angle um, on whether or not it's his fault. Um, I, I am very, very worried that Jamie is right that the stadium build was a big part of it. Um, was looking at uh, their finishes pre and post stadium in the ten years before that move. Um, they finished in the top two eight times and won three titles. They've made the top two once since and obviously didn't win it, um, which is pretty uh, telling. Now, obviously, other things happened, like Chelsea got their money. Obviously, City got their money in that time. But it's just been a slow drop through the league. And you can tell it in fan expectations where it used to always be, you know, we're going to win the title. And then if they didn't, it was disappointment. And then it was, we got to make top four. And if they didn't, it was disappointment. And now, <laughs> again, uh, battling Burnley for that Europa League spot. Um, and I think it's the, the slow decline is very, very evident. As to Wenger's role in it, I think a big part of it's tactical. This is not the first time I've said it. This may be the last time I've said it. But basically, in 2013 is when I noticed that Wenger was on the very, very steep decline. Um, it was when we still had Gareth Bale. And in his pre-match press conference, it was it was like the bail year. Um, and many people know what I'm talking about there. Um, and he was asked in the press conference if he was going to do anything different tactically to deal with Gareth Bale. And he said, one player doesn't change how our team plays. And then Bale had a goal and an assist. It, he was our main threat. He was the only legitimate threat for us. 
and he just ignored his presence because he was more worried about getting Arsenal to play the way he wanted them to play than to deal with the main threat of an opponent. And I think that was like, for me, at least that was the first time I kind of opened my eyes to the fact that despite the fact at one time he was bringing revolutionary tactics to the game, as Jamie mentioned earlier, that it, that had passed, that he was trying to hold on to what he had. He was trying to play an idealized version of football that was no longer practical in the Premier League. And I think we've continued to see that ever since. And I saw an Arsenal fan mention on Twitter that it was heartbreaking for him watching Pep Guardiola bring something to the Premier League that they used to see Arsene Wenger bringing. Um, and I think that, that really kind of encapsulates what's happened is Pep Guardiola is the next generation of, of kind of the vanguard of... Uh, transcendental and revolutionary managers and uh Wenger is clearly the last of the old guard there and I agree he he should have been let go last summer they tried to hold on I understand why he wanted to stay and leave on a high note it just never looked like it was gonna be there there may have been a blip that it could have ended well after the Everton match um or with McTarian and uh Aubameyang on show for the first time it looked like, oh, maybe they will have a strong push to the end of the season, but that was basically immediately ended. And as Jake mentioned, uh, they were very interesting signings. They helped replace the goals that Alexis took with him to Manchester United. In theory, he hasn't really done it there yet. Um, but <laughs> once again, it was signings that weren't their needs. They they have for the ever since I followed the sport, Arsenal have needed a better defensive midfielder and a better center back, and they have failed to address it year on year on year while signing also while signing Alexis now signing replacements for Alexis um and those have not been the problems Jake you, you mentioned uh that they knew do have a new head of recruitment he's from Bruce Dortmund I, I wish I could recall his name right now um but that feels more like a solution for the next manager than it does for Wenger but I think that that those are the issues is that the tactics have passed him they did not sign the players they needed to at the right time and the stadium build very much disrupted um both the finances, the atmosphere. We've seen what happened uh, at West Ham. I know right now Spurs fans are pointing out that we've only lost two games at Wembley, but that ignores draws to Swansea and Burnley uh, at the start of the season, which were disappointing, which is when everybody was talking about the Wembley hoodoo. Um, it messes with a lot of things, the moving into a new stadium, uh, and hopefully that won't affect us. Uh, but Wenger, I think, more or less uh, can be to blame for what's happened at Arsenal. All right, um, now we're going to talk uh, about a different team that wears red and they lost a player like Arsenal lost Alexis uh in Philippe Coutinho Liverpool obviously sold who many people thought was their best player although I'm sure there would have been some shouts for Salah based on the incredible season that he's having and seemingly have improved uh statistically they were fourth when Coutinho was there uh not to over stats but they were basically worse in goals scored and uh goals conceded when Coutinho was there. He's since left. Obviously, he was not a defender. But they've improved in both areas. They're now second instead of in fourth. And I think they're playing a more direct style where they're playing mostly up the wings to either uh, Salah on the right, Mane on the left, who has been playing better since Coutinho's departure, specifically in the Champions League, but um, not particularly poorly in the Premier League of late either. And I think a big part of that is that we're seeing a more defensive Liverpool midfield three, just because save for Lalana, basically every other Liverpool midfielder is more uh, willing and able to track back and defend, which helps address that need. Obviously, the purchase of Van Dijk likely uh, the cause of their better defense. They're only conceding basically one goal per match on average uh, since Coutinho left and since Van Dijk has been at the club. 
Do you guys think this is just kind of uh, shifting mirrors that, that they aren't actually better since Coutinho has left? Or do you think that they're actually better? And why do you think it is? I, I think they have been better. I think it's perhaps early to be drawing fully formed conclusions on this. But I think that the way that Liverpool have been playing in the last few weeks is a clear sign that they have been better without Coutinho. Um, it's difficult to put your finger on exactly why this is, but I think um, Klopp said at the weekend after the win against Newcastle that it, it helped Liverpool that Coutinho's been injured. He had the back injury. I hope you can hear the inverted commas right? <laughs> injury there because he wasn't <laughs> Air injured. Air quotes for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they'd already sort of had to learn how to play without Coutinho. And I think you're right. The way that they're set up now seems to be a much better balance between attack and defence. Van Dijk's arrival obviously has had an impact. But I think the midfield three, as just a platform for the incredible front three, seems to be working much better than trying to fit Coutinho into that system. Coutinho could have played on the left of the front three and done a very good job. But I think if you try and fit him into a midfield three, it's it's going to be difficult because he doesn't have the, I was going to say work rate, that's perhaps not fair, but he doesn't have the defensive knowledge, positioning, know-how. Acumen. To, yeah. yeah, to understand when to go, when to stay, when to hold, all those things that are important in the Premier League. I think Liverpool now, they remind me a bit of Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool, actually, um, in that, they're fully set up to serve the attackers at the top of the team. Um, that season when they had Suarez and Sturridge working as an incredible partnership, scoring all those goals, and they would have probably won the Premier League if Steven Gerrard hadn't slipped against Chelsea. As that season progressed, it, it felt increasingly like Liverpool were honing in on the one thing that made them incredibly dangerous and effective. And it seems to me that that's what they're doing now. The whole team is set up to serve more Salah. Now, whether... Whether that's a long-term solution, Salah presumably won't keep scoring every single game as he is at the moment. Whether it's a long-term solution, I don't know. But at the moment, it's incredibly effective and Liverpool are going to be a threat in the Champions League, I think, because it's working a treat. Um, as for Coutinho, I I always felt that he did flatter to deceive a little bit. He was capable of brilliant moments. Um, but consistency, I felt, was always an issue with Coutinho. He could do it on his day against anyone and look like one of the best players in the world, but there'd be other games where he just didn't look like an elite player. I remember seeing him at the turf, I think it was last season, we won 2-0, scored a couple of early goals thanks to Volks and Gray, and Coutinho just spent the whole game shooting from 25 yards and didn't get anywhere near the target, trying to do it all <laughs> on his own. And I wonder if that was happening to Liverpool a bit this season. They were becoming a bit too focused on Coutinho. And sometimes it happens that the star player goes and other people step up. And I think certainly that's what's happened with Sadio Mane. And I think Mo Salah has proven himself to be more than capable as Coutinho's replacement as, as Liverpool's key man. Yeah, I think... Um, I wouldn't say Liverpool are better off without Coutinho as... as just in general, because obviously Coutinho is a very, very good player and you obviously want would rather have those players around. But um, 
it's difficult to argue what they're doing with, uh, at the moment. I think Salah's coming to a, a new a new lease of life. I think uh, Firmino's been very, very underrated what he's been doing. Uh, not just scoring goals and getting assists, but the, the way he creates space. He did it for the, for the Mane goal yesterday. It was He just managed to pull defenders around at will. And, and Mane's obviously really, really good as well. Um, sort of getting back to that form he showed last season. So I just think those three as a, as a, as a trio work really well together. Uh, and to fit Coutinho in with that, it was sort of just trying to fit him in um, in that sort of advanced midfield role, uh, advanced midfield role. But it was sort of just trying to fit him in and give him a lot of the ball where maybe that's not what Klopp wanted to do, and that's maybe why he he, he let a sale go through in January, even though at the time it looked it looked crazy to let a, a player like Coutinho go without a replacement that time. But it might have been all along that Klopp didn't really see the the fit for Coutinho. He tried last season on the wing; it didn't really work out for him. But it, you know, in general, Coutinho did very well this season. Uh, on average, created created more more chances per ninety minutes than Kevin De Bruyne is. So at the moment, uh, it, a lot lot fewer games, obviously. But he, he he did do very well this season when he was playing. Um, but it might have been that they were giving him more of the ball and, and playing through him more so than they wanted to. And and you said about the change. Now they're going the fullbacks are getting a lot more of the ball. They're they're going down the wing a lot more direct. Um, get get getting Salah on the ball down there. Uh, and trying to trying to get the the strikers uh, the forwards to run in behind and play them in behind, whereas before maybe Coutinho wanted wanted a lot of the play in front of him and shot from range a lot, like Jamie alluded to. He, that was sort of what he did. So I think it's it's one of those moves. I think even at the time, a lot of people were saying that it wouldn't be the biggest loss for Liverpool. Not that not that it's you know a good thing to lose a player like Coutinho, but he wasn't as essential to the play as as other players. I think. Losing Salah, losing Kuti, uh, losing Firmino would have been a lot, lot more difficult to recover from. So, I think it was a good deal. I think they got a good fee for him, and and they're progressing on without him. And I think at the moment they do look just they look incredible. Uh, they look as good as Manchester City, um, especially going forward. I think that they're a lot more devastating, a lot more. They're quicker than Manchester City. I think when when you watch them play, that the way they can cut through it at defence is just without even trying. I think the second goal yesterday showed that. That was some really good one-touch play. And it's just the Jürgen Klopp team. It's very similar to what he built at Dortmund. Um, the midfield three is it's the one position, the, the sort of one area that they should look to improve on um, to get it a little, little bit more just dynamic and quick. Because I think they they rotate a lot in there. But I think the goalkeeper's improving. The, the defence are good. So, yeah, I think they... I think if they if they continue to to develop as they are and they they sign a few good players in the summer they could be genuine title contenders next season. Yeah, it has been an interesting thing to watch um, that they could be playing a style that that's more effective without uh, one of their bigger profile players. Is there somebody at your clubs that maybe uh, the fans overrate or, or is a big profile player that you might actually be able to play better without, kind of in a similar mold? I don't think this is the question to ask me, to be honest. Um, we don't tend to have those sorts of players. Um, True, but I, I mean, think... Robbie Brady's absence allowed Good Munson to kind of grab the control of the team. He he certainly has stepped up, um, but I, I don't think it's coincidence that our bad run has been since Brady and a lot of the other key players have been out. Mm. Uh, I think when you're a club by Burnley, you don't have the the sort of squad depth and squad strength that the big boys have where they lose a player and they can bring in a 30 million, 40 million pound player. We just don't have that. Um, so our bad run recently sort of went unmentioned 
among the the wider media that were talking about it. Burnley haven't won since December. The wheels are coming off. All these things, but there was seven or eight players that would be contenders to start certainty to be in the match day squad who weren't available for the majority of the outrun. You're talking about players like Brady and Defoe who were club record signings when they were brought to the club. Chris Wood, club record signing, didn't play since December, came back on Saturday and scored the winning goal. Um, it's not rocket science that when your best players aren't available, the team gets worse. Um, so I think I think for us, a team that Dash has deliberately moulded to not really have the star players. The whole idea is that if you lose a player like we did last summer in Michael Keane, there's somebody somebody who can come in and the team shouldn't be affected that much. And I think we've seen that with Keane. Keane was awful for Everton on Saturday. He's been terrible for most of the season. Um, and Burnley are better than they were without Keane. So, than they were with Keane, sorry. So I think that's, that's a clear sign for us that our team doesn't really work in that manner. Yeah, I think it's the same for Newcastle. You got the the wrong clubs on here, Kev. To, for this question, we don't really have any high-profile players either. <laughs> I guess I guess the only one you could say is Shelby, mm-hmm. um, but I think we're probably better with him than we are without him. Uh, obviously, he does he does have some bad games. He does switch off defensively. He does frustrate and get sent off sometimes. But that's why he's playing for Newcastle. <laughs> that's why he's not at a better club. You know, we have to put up with those things. Sir. And I think we are just. A, we're a lot more dangerous going forward with Shelby, and I think he he does really just add something a little bit different. So I wouldn't say that uh, I wouldn't say that we're better off without him, and we don't really nobody else I would class as as having a high profile at all. So hmm. probably say Jamie, it's not it's not really that relevant. But what about for Spurs, Kev? Is, is there anybody maybe Deli Ali that you might be better without? <laughs> I was thinking Deli Ali. The answer Especially is the way, exactly the way Lucas Moura settled in. The way Lucas Moura settled in, you've got to be thinking that unless Deli Ali steps it up, he's going to struggle to get in the team. Yeah, and even the way Lamella's been playing since he's yeah. like gotten back into the team after his injury. Because obviously those first couple of performances weren't actually that great, but he seems to really be building momentum. And what he was doing against Juventus was like that kind of Rabona flair kind of Lamella that we'd seen in the past. And, and his work rate, unlike Coutinho's, is just ridiculous. Um, sometimes too ridiculous. Uh, he'll get his yellow cards because he's going in super late on challenges. Uh, but they seem to be um, trying to go for the ball, unlike Del Ali, who picks up his yellow cards because he's being tempestuous and uh, not to be too professional, but a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> or just cheating. There's yep. also that. There you go. We, we, we addressed that head first last week. <laughs> so I don't want to get too much into the uh, Della diving stuff again. But he is the player that I think um we would be better without right now not saying sell him um but as you say jamie lucas and for me as well lamella uh both you could argue deserve a spot better right now and i think we would play better um if you had uh, just of that straight bank of three it, it, obviously last year and the year before the reason we were so dangerous in attack which is why last season people may forget we had the best attack and the best defense in the premier league last year period We had the most goals, the fewest conceded. And one of the reasons we were so dangerous going forward is because we had this muddled three behind Kane of Son, Erickson, and Del Ali. And you never knew who was going to attack where. You didn't know which one was going to play the role of creator in each attack, which one was going to bomb forward. Obviously, towards the end of the year, it was basically just Della and Son, and Erickson kind of started sitting back a bit more. But that kind of muddled attack was really, really messing with back lines, especially when you have a forward like Harry Kane, who every now and again will be willing to step back and let players like Son and Della Ali overlap. That is not happening this year. If you look at Harry Kane's shot totals, 
He is so far beyond where he was last year. Coming into this week, he had 150 shots this season. Last year, he finished the year with 110. He is just pummeling shots towards goal. And the reason why is because those players aren't doing what they did last year. Mostly, Della Ali's son is doing it less because he isn't actually playing that much. Um, but Della Ali last year had 18 goals on the season. I think he has five right now. Um, he used to be the player that would overlap. He used to create chaos in, in attacking areas. And nobody knew how to mark him because he was doing unique things. And I, I don't know if it's just that there wasn't enough tape on him yet for people to know how to deal with him, um, aside from just riling him up. But <laughs> people don't need to rile him up this year. He's basically riling himself, and he's still not playing that well. Um, he consistently tries to dribble through people's legs. I know it's his favorite thing, and we used to have Della Ali nutmeg counters and like, different uh, Spurs community websites and stuff like that. But he just basically is dribbling the ball into defenders' feet at this point. Um, I can't tell you the last time I think he pulled off a successful skill. And all of this is bearing in mind the beautiful assist he had to Sun at the weekend. Because much like you were mentioning with Coutinho earlier, Jamie, he's always been capable of the moments of brilliance. But they're just becoming further between um, when we're seeing them. And it's it's really genuinely becoming a problem. And I think the most telling thing is that he's has success, uh, significantly less successful take-ons this season than he did last year, which is basically what I'm talking about, how he just dribbles into defenders now over and over and over again. And you know what they say about people that try uh, the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Um, but also, last year, his shot accuracy was 60%. His career accuracy at Tottenham is 59.5%. And this year, it's 29%. That If you're losing the ball... And you're just wasting shots and just giving possession to the other team again. And you're you're claiming to be an attacking midfielder. I don't really know what the point of you is. His creativity is somewhat up. I think it's largely because nothing else in his game is working right now. Um, but are you telling me that uh, Eric Lamella or Lucas Mora couldn't have eight assists if they had gotten Della Ali's minutes this season? Lucas Mora has four assists and he's played three matches. And he hasn't started but two of them. So... I'm very much thinking that we could play better if Del Ali was on the bench for now. And he basically wastes 60 minutes of every match while he's on the pitch. So maybe just give him 30 and see if he can't replicate what he's doing in that whole time uh, in a little bit of a shorter time period. And I'm starting to realize that the reason I wanted to talk about this topic was so I could vent about Del Ali. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, that'll do it for the topics. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to discuss topics for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
All right, and we are back. Jamie, we'll, of course, uh, start with you, as that's kind of the order we've been going in thus far today. Uh, I tweeted you when it happened. Burnley, 40 points, basically safe um, by any normal metric. It's been 14 years since 40 points wasn't enough. That was West Ham in 2002-2003, for those trying to keep track. Um, so with you basically reaching safety, which we, we felt you were on the path to do for a long time, what do we see from Burnley now? Are, are you going to try to maybe experiment, which you've laughed at me about on Twitter before? I'm giving you the opportunity to do that on air. Are you going to try to push uh, for that Europa League spot with the kind of turmoil Arsenal are in right now? What do we expect from Burnley now that you've basically achieved safety? I think it's going to be interesting. Um, obviously, staying in the Premier League was always going to be our first target this season. And I think you can probably say the same for everyone outside the, the top six, really making sure that you get to, to 40 points as soon as possible is always going to be the the first thing. The challenge then is trying to set new targets. And I've been banging this drum for weeks and weeks and weeks. I felt the January transfer window was a bit wasteful, from our point of view, to be honest. Um, Aaron Lennon's done okay. I think he's still settling in, and I think he will be a good signing. He brings Premier League experience and know-how and pace to our attack, which was badly needed. But to only add one player to a team that was seventh in the league, I think was a bit Nkudu. wasteful, especially um, Nkud who? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think it, especially since we knew um, Brady was going to be out long term. I think before there was suggestions that he was going to be out for the rest of the season, although they were waiting to see test results and things. Um, but they knew two important players were going to be out for a substantial period, really. I think you need to invest when you're strong and in a good position, and I don't think we really did that. Aaron Lennon was a nominal fee. Um, he's probably in line with our top earners, but didn't really cost much in terms of transfer fee. Um, Kudu, I've, I've liked the bits that I've seen of him, but unfortunately it has been very minimal, and we do have a history under Sean Dyche of underusing our own players, and it looks like that's going to be the same story there. Um, so the concern for me was always that we got to safety and then switched off. I think we've seen clubs like West Brom in the past have done this. Um, whoever Tony Pulis has been in charge of has done this, had a strong start to the season, got to 40. Everyone's thinking about the holidays. Um, and I think the challenge for us is to not do that. We sort of did it last season where we had a really bad wobble and got to a stage where we could have got relegated because other teams were catching us and then got the couple of results that we needed and then had more bad results. Um, so it's difficult. And whatever happens from now, the scene has been a success. For me, setting new targets is the key thing. When we got to January, we should have probably bought a couple of big new players, a new defender to challenge Tarkovsky and Ben Mee to be a successor. Maybe for Tarkovsky, who's been taught of as getting a big move in the summer. We should have been looking to replace Stephen DeFore, at least on a short-term basis. We didn't do that. We should have also bought a striker um, because our top goal scorer this season got about five, which is pathetic for a club that's the seventh best team in the country. Um, so these were all missed opportunities for me, and I don't think it was that much of a surprise that we had that bad run when those key players I was talking about earlier on were injured because we didn't take the opportunity to bring in players who could fill that void. Um now, however, um, to stop whinging for a minute, um, some of those players are coming back. I don't think it was a coincidence that Chris Wood came back, scored on his first appearance of the year. Um, both our first-choice full-backs are now back, fully fit, playing to a high standard again. 
James Sarkowski was back in the defence at the weekend and we looked a bit more solid at the back. So there are positive signs that we can have a strong end to the season. Our fixtures are also very good. We've got some extremely winnable games at home. We're at West Ham next weekend. There's an opportunity for us to have a real go. I think we have to look at Arsenal and the way they're going at the moment and think that we can finish above them. Sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but it's it's a five-point gap and we go to Arsenal before the end of the season. It's doable. And I always think you, you shoot high and see what happens. The worst thing that happens for us now is that everyone downs tools, starts thinking about next season. We can't afford to do that. There's two months to go. There's points to play for. Burnley could qualify for Europe. That could happen. But we have to make sure we keep going right to the end of the season. And I want to see players show that desire and commitment to finish as high as possible. We have to finish seventh at worst for me now. We have to be the best of the rest. and We have to try and catch Arsenal. Well, this is a very awkward question to ask you, considering you just said uh, that players shouldn't worry about next season. But next season, uh, far <laughs> too early expectations for 18-19. Where, where do you think the club goes from here next year will it just be again hoping for safety would you be looking to kind of stabilize yourself as a top 10 club or are you expecting to win the europa league which you'll definitely be in (laughs) um yeah i think the first target will again be stay in the premier league and i still think it will be the same for 10 clubs in the premier league if not 12 14 clubs in the premier league staying up has to be the first goal um it's not very exciting but the bills have to get paid and all these boring things, and that has to be the first thing on the agenda. I would love to see us really try and kick on and be a top 10 Premier League club, but you look at the size of Burnley, the size of the club, the, the history of the club in the last 40 years, it doesn't seem massively realistic. However, you never know, and I think you do have to try and be ambitious and try and kick on. That's why I was a bit frustrated with January. I felt like it was an opportunity to add players who could bed in for the second half of the season and then be ready to go for next season. I always think January is a really good time to do that, bring players in who can then have a big impact in the following season. We've missed that opportunity now. So I think next season, the, the danger is that there is a bit of a a bit of a fall off. This has been such a great season overall. The risk is that we can't match those expectations. Um, but knowing as much about Sean Dice as I do, I think he'll be determined to make sure that doesn't happen. The new contract that he signed indicates that he's in for the long haul. I think that's a positive sign that the club can build around. The stability has been absolutely crucial for the five and a half years that Dice has been at the club. And I think we will just try and keep on building things marginally and just keep trying to go as far as we can. Obviously, look at the top six and they're all massive clubs. It's very difficult to envisage Burnley breaking into that situation but you look at the bottom 14 and there's no reason why we can't be one of the better teams of those yeah absolutely fair um coming to you now Jake uh, a lot of people have been getting on Newcastle's back for their tactics uh in the Liverpool match uh would you like to defend that or, or what was your view on the tactics in that one well I mean what did people expect Newcastle to do I, I don't really understand <laughs> that. <laughs> like a lot of if you if Have we went attack, there, one attack, just one attack. Well, I'll, I'll throw a few stats out because I I feel like it's it's worth going. I mean, I I would like to see us attack more. And I thought maybe we were a little bit uh, we could have done a bit more. But we actually set up pretty. I we set up a lot more attack than I thought. We had Murphy, Atsu, and Kennedy all on the pitch. 
I thought that was interesting. I thought the plan was to try, try and maybe counter-attack, but every time the, those three players did get on the ball in any sort of attacking situation, they got tackled. <laughs> like, if, if they're not good enough, if, if they have an off day, so they can't... I, I mean, obviously, they had a few opportunities. It's, it, there's a small margin for error in our game plan, and it didn't quite work out. But I thought... You know, it was it was. I thought it was fine. Like we we've done it we've done it a lot of this season, and we've got the lowest percentile uh, possession. But everyone keeps saying we're a championship team. So what what are people expect us to do? We're not going to go out and, and and play teams off the park. I think we had seventy. Uh, Liverpool had seventy one percent possession, which is the same Manchester City had today. Liverpool had um, fourteen shots. Manchester City had thirteen. Newcastle had seven shots. Chelsea had three. I don't know. I think Chelsea probably were a lot more negative than Newcastle, and I think. Maybe the criticism should be going to them because they've actually got Champions League winners, they've got World Cup winners in their team, and we don't have that. So, I mean, I think we, for for what for what Liverpool are doing at the moment, just they haven't lost at Anfield all season. It was very unlikely we were ever going to get anything out of that game. So, I mean, on another you know if it, on another day the game plan works a little bit better, we we don't concede a sloppy goal before half time, through giving the ball away, and Diarme maybe you know might might hear that chance it's, it's it's a small margin for error if you're going to play like that you're going to have to take your chances when they come and we didn't get many we had one fairly good one which wasn't even that good it would take a good strike to score from there but um yeah i i i, I don't really have any problems to set up that way uh, another thing to factor in is goal difference is at the bottom of the table it's so tight down there that um i think we're two points off the relegation zone so it could come down to goal difference, and ours is quite healthy compared to to Stoke and Huddersfield and teams like that. So maybe we wanted to keep that respectable, and also losing four or five nil to Liverpool is not really the best preparation to going into to the games against Southampton and Huddersfield at home. So I don't really have a lot of problem. Like if you're going to throw games like this away, which is probably what we did, you have to go and win the games that you that you're so it was saving yourself for. So we got two massive games coming up, and if we win both of those. We probably stay up, so like this gets forgotten about very quickly. Yeah, um, a, a person that I thought was going to help you stay up this year was uh, Islam Slomani. Others less keen on that signing, uh, but I thought he would certainly help. You brought up when you signed him, the one downside was that he was injured coming in, and he remains as such. Um, <laughs> we had uh, uh, FPL Henser, our chief, we have him on our fantasy show a fair bit. He's a Newcastle fan as well. And he uh, said that maybe you guys should go after Jackson Martinez, who was just let go. Obviously, high profile has not done the business uh, in China by all reports. Um, are Do you think Newcastle should look at signing somebody that's on a free right now? Or do you just hold out for Slimani? Do you just keep playing Gale? What, what should Newcastle do to try to ensure that they score enough goals to stay in the Premier League this year? I don't really think that it's a big problem. I don't, I've not really thought about Slimani that much because I don't really think we've... He would, I mean, he'd, he'd be a good addition, but I don't really think Gale's been playing that bad recently. He scored two against Bournemouth. He played really well against Manchester United. I think he's coming into a bit of form. I think we're seeing more of the player that we had last season in the championship. Uh, maybe he's not going to be a tough, he's not going to be like one of the best Premier League strikers, but I think he's more than adequate, uh, a serviceable Premier League striker when he's playing well and he's not so like distracted by his injury problems. I think that's what happened at the start of the season. He's so. He had just like had a mental problem with his hamstrings. He, he thought they'd they'd go, and he didn't have faith in his own body, which is why he wasn't as effective. But I think he, he's been looking quite good recently. I'm I, I not even that bothered if Samani ever plays for Newcastle. I think that just shows 
the lack of forward planning that our board have when it comes to transfers that they've panicked on the last day to get somebody who's injured. Uh, somebody should have come in a lot. Somebody should have been signed in the summer to come in and play up front for Newcastle. That didn't happen. But I think Gale is, is fine. I, I'm quite happy going forward with Gale. I'm, if Samani comes in and scores a few goals, then great. But I definitely don't think we should go and sign anybody on the free agency market. I don't really see the point in that. It's uh, We've got our squad of players now. Bringing somebody else in is not really going to help that. It's like there's nine games to go. Just concentrate on the players we have. Um, and, and, and the Newcastle board would never, ever, ever say yes to bringing in a player. So it's pointless even to think about. I, I just want to push a bit further on the Benitez tactics things, if I can. Because every time I... Uh, any sort of criticism of Newcastle are exactly the same arguments from Newcastle fans. It's it's a bit like a cult, to be honest. The Benitez cult. Everyone just buys every single thing that he says, forgets about all the rubbish players that he signed for the club. He spent money on bad players. Everyone forgets that. Five million pounds on Grant Hanley last season. That's probably part of the reason why he's not on money to spend this season. And everyone goes on about goal difference. You don't necessarily stay up on goal difference. You stay up on points. And to throw these games away, trying to lose games 1-0, if Newcastle go down by a point, it's Rafael Benitez's fault because he not made any attempt to get a positive result in a handful of matches this season. And for me, it's totally unforgivable that you can go to these games, you can have thousands of people pay money to go and watch these games, and the team does not participate in any sort of form of football match. It's absolutely appalling for me. And to see Newcastle fans defend this, I absolutely boggle at it. I cannot understand how you can watch a performance like Liverpool against Newcastle yesterday and think that it's anything like acceptable. It's absolutely terrible. Anti-football. Yes, Chelsea were the same against Manchester City, but... Man City are probably the best team in the world at the moment. Liverpool can be got at. Yes, they've got a good record at Anfield this season, but you've got to have a go. You can't just play for 1-0 defeats. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that is just... I just don't agree with any of that, to be honest. It's... You were talking about Liverpool as a Champions League contender, and now you're saying that Newcastle could go there and get something by being positive. It doesn't really make that much sense. It's I not think. just this one game, though, is it? It's not just this one game. Newcastle have done it a few times this season. But it's it's because of what he has at his disposal. We've got a very limited squad. Again, one you're of... parroting his own lines. What? 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 One. Well, where where do you, do you who do you think Newcastle? Where where do you think we we stand in the in the Premier League? Players-wise. You're, you're in a fair position at the moment, but I think if you show a bit more ambition and try and win football matches, then you could be a bit better off. Like but I've the, said, the, right, this podcast, there's 14 teams in the league who aren't very good. <laughs> so just hope that there's three even worse ones. It, uh, I don't understand all the adulation of Benitez from Newcastle. Because, because what came down, before him... What... down... And he got them up by spending fifty million pounds on players, and now he might take them down again. And yet he's treated like some sort of hero. It's absolutely baffling to me. Because what we've had before, we've had McLaren, we've had Pardew, who are just awful. But he is this one of the. He's a very, very good manager. He's won the Champions League. He's he knows what he's doing. He's got a, he's got an awful owner who does nothing. We spent the least amount of money this season. We've we've signed average players because that's all he's been given. He wanted to go and sign Pepe Reina, which was available in the summer. That didn't get done because it was too not enough money. 
there's, he's just not been given any money to spend. It's it's he's got an average squad. We we are probably one of the worst, if not the worst, squad in the Premier League. And if we stay up, I think it's a very very good achievement from him, to be honest. All right. Uh, well, we will leave that there uh, and move on to player watch. Um, where last season around this time, I mentioned that I thought Tottenham Hotspur were going to sign a center back, which raised a lot of questions. As I mentioned earlier, Tottenham had the best defense in the league last season. Seemed very strange to bring in a center back. We buy Davinson Sanchez, and very fortunate we did because Toby Alderweireld has been out for quite some time. Uh, would you guys like to fancy uh, taking an early crack at what positions you guys might need to strengthen in the summer? Yeah, I think this is a an interesting one for us because the first eleven, when everyone's fit and available, I think is is pretty strong, and I think that's partly why we are seventh in the Premier League and trying to to chase down Arsenal at the moment. The, the issue for me is that when key players are injured, that there is quite a substantial drop off in quality. So I I'd be reasonably happy if we just added some really good cover. Um, I'd like to see us invest in some young players that we can develop. I think that's been a real weakness. Um, of the Daesh era, really. In terms of specific positions, I think you always look at goals as being something you can improve. We've not scored enough goals, really, this season, at home in particular. Um, it's been very... I think there's two games, Everton and Swansea, that we scored more than once. Um, and you can't always rely on keeping clean sheets. You need to be able to score a couple of goals sometimes. So another striker could maybe be the answer. I know a lot of fans would like to see us sign a proper number 10. We've been playing Jeff Henry there for most of the season and it's a bit of an uncomfortable fit, really, I think, especially once, uh, if we look ahead to next season and Brady and Lennon could be available, Gunmanson could be available, Defoe could be available. It's then difficult to see how you're going to fit Hendrick into the team and you start really wanting someone to sit behind the striker, being that link man. Um, and I think that's, that's a position where you can afford to be a bit more um, have a bit more flair and take a couple of risks and just really back someone to go out there and, and do the business for the team. Henrik's very much a sort of meat and potatoes type of player. Um, I don't mind him when he plays deeper, but I think as a 10, he's a bit lacking in quality. So I think that's a, a big priority for us. But a club like Burnley, it's always going to be trying to keep hold of your better players and it's very much going to depend on, on what happens in terms of outgoings before we start thinking about people coming in, I think. Mm. Jake, you just said you feel like Rafa isn't really being supported, but assuming that you are still in the Premier League, surely he has to be given something to spend. Yeah, you'd hope so. I think um, it's probably—I'd probably say we need a, a good striker. That's probably probably number one that we need. Uh, I think our top scorer has five goals, which is pretty pretty bad. Um, you'd hope a number ten, maybe a number ten. I think Perez is not really kicked on as you would have hoped. He was quite good when we first signed him, but he's not really got any better since then. Um, a goalkeeper, I would have said, but I think Dubravka looks fine uh, if we can sign him on a permanent deal. Uh, maybe, maybe need to get a, a, a left winger if Kennedy goes back to Chelsea. Um, another centre back, pretty much across the pitch, we we could improve significantly with a little bit of money. Um, but it depends what happens if if we stay up. Who's the owner? Who's going to be the manager? Then it's there's lots of variables at play. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, anywhere I think getting the improving the players down the mid, middle of the pitch is probably most important. So at central midfield, I thought we were okay, but the fact the army has been our best central midfielder in the last few weeks is, is worrying because I don't think he's good that 
sustainable in that position. He's he sort of had his best years already. Um, so we probably need to improve there. Number ten, striker, centre back. Yeah, if if you improve down the down the core of the pitch, you'll you'll likely improve the whole team. So that's probably what I would do. But it depends if we stay up or not. Just just a whole new eleven, basically. Yeah, I mean it would help. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, for Tottenham, this this is interesting. I think I'm going to double down. I think uh, with the the Toby Alderweireld issues. Um, we may actually sign yet another center back next season. Um, enlightening comments from uh, Pochettino this week on Eric Dyer's long-term role. And uh, before he did say such things as on the football pitch, uh, which is a fun uh, explanation of where he wants Eric Dyer to play long-term. Uh, but he kind of expanded on it and basically said that uh, the, all it takes to be good at multiple positions is the right mentality. Um, and he said that Dyer has that. And when he puts him out at center back or in defensive midfield, he knows he's going to get the same level of performance. So assuming that he wants to continue to use Dyer at whichever position he darn wants any dang week, um, we need another center back uh, kind of regardless, unless we think Foyth is going to develop by next season, or if we think Toby Alderweireld could potentially leave um, because we all know Daniel Levy isn't about to get Sol Campbell again. Um so I think center back is is going to be the interesting one to watch. The obvious one is going to be striker. Um, Lorente did just score a hat trick um, in the uh, FA Cup against Rochdale. Whether or not um, he can turn that into more success, we will see. Obviously, did very well in the Premier League last season, but being the backup striker to Harry Kane means you aren't going to get a lot of minutes. And so, if you're the kind of player that needs to like kind of warm up into a team, um, continue to push shots on goal, like trying to get that that ball rolling that is not the kind of player that is going to particularly help us because you are only going to get weird 10 minute cameos and maybe some minutes in what we view as lesser competitions at certain points in the season um Jan Fiat Arp is somebody that uh we very much like and seems to uh have said some very pro Tottenham things in the past um but that's that's kind of the issue is that Tottenham either have to get somebody who has a lot of potential, but it hasn't developed yet, like Jansen, who then obviously did not uh, come good for us and sounds like he will not be staying at Tottenham uh, when he returns from his loan. Or you go the other end, you go with somebody like Fernando Lorente, who's just looking for um, one more check, maybe uh, see if he can't get some more minutes in the Champions League. And he did play against Real Madrid for us. Um, but the problem is it's very hard to get a striker that is currently good and currently scoring goals and convincing them to play behind Harry Kane. Pochettino mentioned that, that Tottenham... Um, we're very close to being able to agree a deal uh, to bring in uh, Alvaro Morata, which you can debate the merits of now, um, but that Morata as a player was disinterested because he didn't just want to sit behind Harry Kane. So how we solve that issue is interesting. What uh, people may notice is that I'm no longer talking about bringing in a pacey winger. Long gone are the bring back Gareth Bale rumors. We finally addressed that in Lucas Mora. And something that I had been talking about for a long time is people kept saying Tottenham needed pace. And that is true. We signed pace with NG and Nkudu and then very quickly learned that we needed somebody with pace that was as good as either Erickson was in his position or Della Ali was in his position or Son was in his position because just having a fast player does not help enough. You need a fast player that is as good as the rest of your squad, if not better. And in Lucas Moura, we finally got somebody that can create as well as he has pace. Um, and so that it, it has been fully addressed. So yeah, for me, it's going to be striker, 
potentially center back, maybe a central midfielder to replace Dembele. Uh, but he's been playing a lot of matches in a row, which makes me think that maybe we think his hip issues are a bit behind him. We obviously have uh, Harry Winks behind him that's now fully fledged into the first team. And a young player named Tasha Oakley Booth, whom people may or may not know, uh, who's probably going to be the next in the line of Livermore's and Mason's and Bentaleb's and Winks's uh, of players that break through into the first team from the Youth Academy. All right, we will wrap up with uh, match previews. Uh, Tottenham obviously playing midweek against Juventus at Wembley. Um, people saying this is the biggest match we've had in a long time, which kind of uh, shows the short memories people have, uh, considering we've already played Real Madrid twice the season. And while I do know the direction their season has gone, I like to think that we played some part in derailing um, them a bit this year. Um, this is huge. Obviously, 2-2 uh, is how we left uh, Italy. So uh, hopefully we're set on away goals. Hopefully won't, we won't be conceding three. So worst case is uh, we'd be going into extra time and potentially penalties. <laughs> it's it's a very, very nervous time. They got Dybala back but lost Higuain. But I think Dybala would be more dangerous against us, which is pretty funny to say considering I think Higuain scored both of their goals um, in the first 10 minutes there uh, and then did end up missing that penalty, um, which kind of brought us back into that game. It'll be interesting to see. We have technically beaten Juventus at Wembley this season in the last uh, preseason friendly. Um, obviously, you don't want to draw on that too much. I would think that we will see Lamella again, perhaps instead of Della Ali, although he did have both assists um, in the first leg, which, uh, again, he can he can be intolerable for large swaths of the match, but then can kind of cause those magical moments. Um I am not particularly confident, but I'm sure as heck not going to say that we're going to be knocked out of the Champions League on my own dang show. Uh, So I'm going to say Tottenham win 2-1. All right, and Jamie, we'll come to you next. West Ham hosting uh, your Clarets. Uh, What do you think we're going to see in this one? Again, we kind of addressed earlier um, uh, the direction that Burnley may take the rest of the season. Do you think we'll know from this match uh, whether or not you're still fighting or if you've already downed tools, as you say? Um, no, not really. I think we'll probably set up in much the same way as we do for for most games. It's it's really difficult to tell mentality from the way we we line up, and it seems to depend on the opposition and how they are set up. So it's going to be a difficult one. I think with West Ham being on the back of a really bad defeat against Swansea at the weekend. It could be a good time to play them or it could be a bad time to play them because they'll be looking for a reaction at home. They'll see our recent-ish away record has not been particularly impressive and it's it's an opportunity for them to get three points to put them towards safety. So um, it's a massive game for them. The hope for me is that with the pressure off, it gives us a bit more freedom to be a bit more entertaining, show a bit more attacking ambition, having just... Um, spent 10 minutes laying into Jake for Newcastle's lack of attacking ambition. I'd like to see a little bit more from us um, for away games. So I do think we set up a bit too defensively um, at times. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see us have a real go at this. Like I say, I think Arsenal are in free fall at the moment and we should be looking to at least put pressure on them. Um, everyone's been talking about how long it had been since we'd won a game. It was the longest run without a victory in the Premier League, I think. So it's an opportunity for us to go back-to-back. I think we've also got the monkey off our back from not winning the game, having fallen behind in the Premier League under Dash. One of those statistics that even if people at the club don't say it's a factor, I think 
when we fall behind, um, you have been able to sense certainly a mood among fans, if not seeing heads drop a little bit on the pitch, that there's just not that much belief that we can get back into a game. Okay, Everton are pretty rubbish um, and they've been awful away from home recently, but to be able to do that, come from behind and win a game, it just demonstrates that we can do it. There's no reason why we can't do it. So if we do go behind at West Ham, I think we can still get a positive result there. Um, so I'm upbeat about it, really. I think we've got some some good winnable fixtures coming up. And I really hope we see this as an opportunity to to really cause an upset. Imagine what it would be like if Burnley finished above Arsenal in the Premier League. It'd be, it'd be historic, really. I cannot make any further comments considering I already slated <laughs> Arsenal for the first half of this show. Um, <laughs> Jake, you mentioned that one of the reasons you rolled out the tactics you did uh, against Liverpool was to win matches like the upcoming one against Southampton. Uh, is this kind of a, do you need to win to kind of prove that that was the right call or just hoping that you see a, a good performance kind of regardless? I just think we need to win this match full stop, not to prove anything because we're in that situation where we need to win matches now. Um, before, I think we've lost three of our last 11 games, so it's not like we've been terrible. I think we more we, we managed to stay in games pretty well. We managed to Score the. I think we've scored the first goal in four of our last five matches. That's a. That's a. It's both quite encouraging and also quite worrying that we haven't won more matches out of those. I think we've only won one of those. So that's quite frustrating. But um, yeah, I think it's it's a huge game. Southampton have been pretty average. Um, when we went to St Mary's early in the stadium, uh, early in the season. Sorry. Um, we should have. We should probably should have won that game. We went. Uh, one nil and two one up. Uh, I think we had more shots than Southampton that day, so it wasn't too negative. Uh, so for more of that at home, I think Pellegrino is probably one of the worst managerial appointments in in the, in the last twelve months of the Premier League. I don't want to be too too harsh on him, but it's, it's been a pretty bad appointment, and I'm not sure how he's still in the job. So the fact that he is it encourages me. It, it I think. Southampton are a team with a lot of talent, but they've, I think they've just ran the, their race and sort of just bringing players in each season, selling people on. It's just sort of got to that point where it was always going to get to a point where it's not sustainable. And it seems that they maybe this year they could go down. I, I, there's not a lot about them to say they won't at the moment. If I was a Southampton fan, I'd be worried. This is probably one they need to win, but the same they needed to beat Stoke at the weekend. That's a very poor result not to beat Stoke at home for mm. them where, you know, in previous seasons, they could count on their home record and they've just not been able to and, and to not even score. It's just worrying. So I, th- I think we'll win this one. I think I I think it's... Uh, since Benitez has been manager, we, we, do pull, we do normally win the games we have to win. Last season, we did it. Went uh, away to Huddersfield and Brighton uh, back-to-back at a crucial stage and won both those matches. He does seem to to win the games that the big ones we've beaten uh west ham twice we beat stoke twice so it, it, we these games we sort of do okay in. so i think we're gonna win it i think i think we're gonna gonna win and beat Southampton. and and if we do that i think we move to 32 points and you know 32 points you only get another couple of wins there away from safety i think so and we'd put four points between us and southampton so that would be that would be huge at this point of the season so yeah i, th- I think we'll win and as Jamie said, it's not good that it seems Newcastle just expect that there will be three worst teams. But to his point, there probably are three worst teams. Uh, so yeah, as you say, if you get to 36 or 38, those honestly both might be enough uh, to ensure your safety this season. Um, also on your Pellegrino point, there's a really interesting article um, on the Eagles beak right now, which is about if uh, Southampton and Crystal Palace just got their manager selection switched. 
uh, in the offseason, which would have ended up with DeBoer at Southampton um, and Pellegrino at Crystal Palace. Definitely worth a look over there. Of course, our good friend Jay, uh, the editor of that website. Um, that will do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, I've been Jamie Smith, and um, if any Newcastle fans are considering getting in touch with me to shout at me, please don't bother. <laughs> you can tweet me at Jamie Smith Sport. I cover Premier League European football for Omnisport, and I'm a Burnley Football Club fan. Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Chappell with two N's. Uh, I work for EPL Index and the Boot Room, and I was on the Anfield Index show reviewing those negative tactics, so check that one out. <laughs> I'm your host Kevin DeVriza you can find my writings over at gold.com I have a couple new things uh, kind of in the works but I'll let you guys know over on my Twitter which you can find at Kevroth of course be sure to keep tuning into our championship and fantasy shows that are on this very same channel uh, lots of great content and we'd love if you would listen to those as well uh, that will do it for us thanks so much for joining us guys it was a pleasure as always and we hope you keep listening When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.